0: The same.
1: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I have said time and again on this show that the wheels of justice may turn slowly, but nevertheless, they continue to turn. It seems that last week's letter from Mazers, Trump's former accounting firm, is the crack in the wall that could lead to the collapse of the entire dam, drowning fucking Trump and his brainwashed MAGA for good. It brings to mind an ancient Chinese proverb, often attributed to Sun Tzu. If you wait for the river long enough, the bodies of your enemy will begin to float by.
2: Referencing the Mango Mussolini, who's had a very bad week. His longtime accounting firm dumped him over years of unbelievable financial statements. The National Archives said he illegally brought classified documents out of the White House to Mar-a-Lago, and a judge refused to dismiss a lawsuit against him for inciting the Capitol insurrection. I mean, Trump is taking L's like a Cincinnati Bengal, and the biggest loss yet came on Thursday when a New York judge ordered him, plus Don Jr. and Ivanka, to answer questions in Attorney General Tis James' investigation into their business practices. Oh, and they have to do it under oath and they have to do it in the next three weeks, meaning things could soon get a lot worse for the former grifter-in-chief.
1: The news that Masers was dropping Donald Trump as a client last week has sent off a shockwave that is, for the first time, made Trump, the Houdini
3: of accountability, look vulnerable. And it's not that just that he's losing these cases, but some of the things the judges are saying. You know, for example, in the civil lawsuit that was brought against Donald Trump, or inciting an insurrection. Judge Amit Mehta, who I have to say is a former public defender in the courts of Washington, D.C., back when I was a prosecutor, very highly regarded jurist, knows his way around the courtroom. He used words and phrases in um, allowing that suit to go forward, like um, Donald Trump and his angry mob were working toward a common goal. He used the phrase Donald Trump's call to collective action. And then I think the most devastating phrase Judge Mate used in his ruling, he described Donald Trump's conduct as the essence of civil conspiracy. Jonathan, those mm-hmm. are the words and phrases of federal crimes, like seditious conspiracy and inciting an insurrection. Things are getting really bad. I think the investigative circle is tightening around Donald Trump.
1: Last Tuesday, the former president rattled by news that his longtime accountants had declared that years of his financial statements were no longer reliable, issued a statement of self-defense with new claims about his wealth.
2: Put out what may be the longest, most ranty statement he has ever released since leaving office. And the statement said, I'm paraphrasing here, I swear I'm really rich, even richer than you think. Far from inflating his net worth, Trump claimed that the Mazar statements actually undercounted how rich he is. Ultimately, of course, his statements ends up at Hillary Clinton and why she should probably be put to death. But remember, the main thing here, don't listen to anyone who says Donald Trump is not as rich as he says he is. That is the one thing prohibited, not allowed. And that was just the start of Donald Trump's week, which has really gone from bad to worse.
1: The shape-shifting valuations, even in the face of mounting legal peril with Mazur's decision to sever ties and disavow its past financial statements, gets to the core of the problem for Trump. He has spent a lifetime bending reality to his will, often making it up as he went along, inventing facts and figures to support his needs in the moment. In fact, in his Tuesday email, he suggested the intangible value of the Trump brand was actually worth an extra three billion in 2014.
2: He once sued a reporter for daring to write that Trump was not in fact a billionaire. He pursued the case for years, But when Trump sat down for a deposition in that suit and the reporters' lawyers tried to pin him down on how much he was actually worth, Trump testified under oath, quote, my net worth fluctuates and it goes up and down with the markets and with attitudes and with feelings, even my own feelings.
1: Now though, he faces multiple investigations that threaten to hold his questionable claims up to the light. In New York, Two law enforcement inquiries are examining whether he fraudulently submitted overblown real estate valuations to secure loans. And in Georgia, a grand jury is looking into Mr. Trump's attempts to pressure state officials to find 11,780 votes. His margin of defeat in 2020 in that battleground state that he baselessly asserted had been stolen from him.
3: Once the first brave prosecutor, who has the evidence to indict Donald Trump brings that indictment, everybody's going to want to be the second prosecutor to indict Donald Trump because he's committed crimes in multiple jurisdictions. And once that barrier is broken and he is indicted for the first time, I think prosecutors nationwide are going to say, well, if he's committed crimes in my jurisdiction, I now need to step up as well. So, you know, I do think it's coming. It's been a very long time coming. We have to balance frustration with patience. But I I do think justice will ultimately bear down on Donald Trump.
1: I like how the New York Times couched Trump's relationship to the truth, writing, and I quote, Such casual dalliances with inaccuracies and lies have long been central to his modus operandi, which he once famously described as truthful hyperbole. He has employed this very effective form of promotion, as he called it, to sell himself and build the brand that ultimately helped vault him to the White House. So let's cut to the chase here, folks. The man for whom I sold my soul, whose dirty work I did for over a decade... Is a liar and a fucking tax cheat. And now the chickens are coming home to roost in a real major way. Well, and he can't
2: lie, right? Because here's the thing, Tristan Sell, like if he goes and he lies in those depositions, that's a crime, right? So he's sort of cornered, and and they either have to tell the truth and damn themselves because your own lawyer admitted this under oath to Congress that you do this. So you either have to lie and get in trouble, you know, and and go down for perjury, or or you have to tell the truth, and then that can, in theory, I guess, be used against him. In a, in, a, in a successive case?
4: So the kicker is that in a civil case, uh, you know, those statements can all be used against him, including any attempt to plead the fifth. So if he pleads hmm. the fifth uh, in this matter, which is a civil prosecution, effectively, right. a civil, it's a civil investigatory matter, it can be used against him. The trier of fact, judge or jury, can then basically take those points where the Trumps have, have pled the fifth and draw their own assumptions as to whether or not that was trying to hide some sort of
1: legal liability. Now it seems that Trump has crashed his own clown car into oncoming traffic. The lies he used earlier in the week to try and beat back his own former accountants have been used against him. Trump now must fucking testify under oath before the New York State Attorney General.
2: This is something that terrifies everyone around him. And it is bad news for Donald Trump and his adult children. That is because Donald, Don Jr., and Ivanka have now been ordered to give depositions under oath in the civil investigation into their family's business dealings led by New York Attorney General Letitia James.
1: Trump, as we know,
3: lies like he breathes. When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the Fifth so they're not prosecuted, Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, horrible, horrible. Her staffers taking the Fifth Amendment, how about that? If are
1: five people taking the Fifth Amendment, like you see on the mob, right? You see the mob takes the Fifth Amendment. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? In a written ruling Thursday, New York Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engoron denied a request by the family to quash James's subpoenas in the civil case or delay enforcing them until the conclusion of the criminal probe. Engeron said that the Trumps must sit for depositions within three weeks and Donald Trump must
0: provide the requested records within 14 days. The reptilian father that is Donald Trump is off the charts here. You cannot tell me as a parent that you would ever be willing to put your own children in jeopardy, in serious legal jeopardy for some dirt you did. Right, you. If, if this was my family and my kids were, were, were subpoenaed to talk to this woman, I'd be running, I'd be begging the court, Let no, let me take the weight, let me take all the responsibility. Yeah. Don't go after my kids. What kind of father is this that he's putting their, their, his kids in this situation? Trump, of course, has railed against the investigation, calling them partisan
1: witch hunts by Democrats and has gone to court in bids to stop or slow them down. In his statement on Tuesday, he also suggested that they were racially motivated. Miss James and the newly elected Manhattan district attorney, Alvin Bragg, are both black. And that his accountants had been browbeaten into quitting. No one is above the law. Um, And that
3: um, I pursue cases based on evidence, based on facts, and based on an analysis of the law. And that the politics stop at my door. He will
2: not evade us. He will not stop us from investigating and to ensuring that individuals, no matter what title they hold, are following the law. And I'm confident that we will win.
1: The Mazers February 9th letter is just the tip of the iceberg. The New York Times has reported that Mazers has been cooperating with the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal investigation, and that Trump's main accountant at Mazers has already testified before a grand jury. No prosecutor or grand jury will unquestionably accept vagaries like, taken as a whole. Mazers will have to explain in detail what it discovered, how the new information differed from what the Trump Organization represented at the time the statements were prepared and exactly why it decided to fire Trump as a client and then warn investors not to rely on the Trump organization's
0: statements. It's a major crime. It's a major financial crime. This is, of all the things where where the Trump and the Trump family could be in legal jeopardy, this is probably the most serious, I think probably even more serious than the election fraud investigation happening in Georgia.
1: Here's why this is such a big deal. When Letitia James filed the Mazers letter in court last week, She did so as part of her civil case into the Trump Organization. But James and the Manhattan District Attorney jointly have a related criminal investigation into Donald Trump. Recent reporting coming out of that criminal probe has focused on the Trump family falsifying asset valuations for tax, insurance, and loan purposes, all of which would be felonies. So Mazur's flipping on Trump doesn't just mean that Trump's assets are in jeopardy. It all but cements that Trump could soon be wearing
2: an orange jumpsuit. The criminal conspiracy that is Donald Trump is being exposed, whether it is his dereliction of duty, whether it is the infractions of the emoluments clause, using his office for his own financial and pecuniary gains. It's all coming out now. That said, we've
1: all seen Trump wiggle out of legal jeopardy time and time again. This time, it feels different. The walls are closing in here, folks, legally, financially, and politically. I, for one, cannot wait to see what will be the knockout punch. And now for the main event. With the flood of pending litigation headed towards Donald Trump like a fucking freight train, it can be difficult to know what to pay attention to as these cases are both complicated and time-consuming. That's why my next guest, Ellie Honig, is the perfect guest for the moment when Donald Trump transitions from public person to possible criminal defendant. Koenig is the host of the Third Degree podcast, as well as a frequent commentator and legal analyst for CNN. He also spent eight years as the United States Assistant Attorney for the Southern District of New York, where he successfully prosecuted more than 100 members and associates of La Cosa Nostra, including the bosses and other high-ranking members of the Gambino and Genovese organized crime families. His understanding of the law and what potentially awaits Donald Trump in state, federal, and local court gives him the rare ability to see the future. He joins me today on Maya Culpa amidst a flurry of pressure facing the former president just days after his longtime accountant fired him as a client and he now faces the prospect of having to be deposed by the New York State Attorney General. If you're looking to find out what the future holds for Donald Trump and whether or not he'll be wearing the orange pajamas, Honig is your man, and this is your episode. So let's go now to that conversation. So, Ellie, can you walk my listeners through yesterday's ruling that Trump and his children, Don Jr. and Ivanka, must sit for depositions in the Attorney General's civil investigation case here in New York against the Trump Organization? in your professional opinion, what happens next? Yeah. So two things
4: happen next, which is appeal and then the Fifth Amendment. But let me take it back a step. So I'm glad you specified, Michael, civil, because there's two things happening at once here. There is a civil investigation being run by the attorney general of New York, Letitia James. And then there is a parallel criminal investigation, which is being primarily run by the new Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, who I should say is a a, current friend and former colleague of mine from the SDNY, your favorite office, Michael. Um, And that is a criminal case. What happened yesterday had to do with a batch of subpoenas that Letitia James served in the civil case. Now, she wanted to uh, subpoena and depose Donald Trump, Ivanka and Don Jr. And the Trumps argued, no, these subpoenas are invalid. And they asked the judge to basically what we call quat them, throw them out. Um, the argument from Letitia James was, I have the right to pursue information. I have a good faith basis to think there was fraud here. Same fraud you have spoken about, Michael. In fact, they cited you as the, as the originator of this theory of fraud. And the Trumps argued, no, this is politically motivated. This is essentially a witch hunt. We're being picked on for political purposes. Um, and therefore, you should, among other arguments we can get to, but therefore, you should throw these subpoenas out. The judge yesterday said the subpoenas are valid. They are legitimate. You must testify under oath, which brings us to what happens next. Donald Trump will appeal. I'm virtually certain he will lose the appeal. Prosecutors and investigators have very broad subpoena power. And then I think if he, if push comes to shove and he has to testify, he'll take the fifth. But I don't think he'll take the fifth in any kind of humble way. Like I, I, I take the fifth. I think what he will say is I wanted to testify, but my lawyers told me I couldn't. And the reason I have to take the fifth is because these crazy Democrats are just so hell-bent on getting me that I can't possibly, anything I say, they will try to turn into a crime. So I think that's where we're headed.
1: Yeah. So you had Judge Enger on yesterday who was responding to, I think, uh, the young lady who is representing Trump in this, uh, Haba, made some right. sort of a snide remark about me in the beginning that I can't be trusted about my testimony and so on. And, you know, To to the credit of Judge Engeron. Turn around, he goes, you know, I'm not buying it. First of all, why don't you tell me what he said that wasn't truthful? He then goes on to turn around because the arguments, and you said, they're not just ridiculous, they're fucking stupid. Where you turn around and you say that your office is not allowed to investigate me or my company. And of course, you know, um, Engeron's response was, you know, It would be a blatant dereliction of duty, right? And then I'm going to quote this now. Indeed, he explained to them, because obviously they don't get it. The impetus for the investigation was not personal animus, which is something they were claiming. It's not racial or ethnic or other discrimination, Not campaign promises, which again, they brought up about Tish James, but was sworn congressional testimony by former Trump associate Michael Cohen that respondents were cooking the books. Right. I said it three years ago, three years ago at my House Oversight Committee hearing, and I've testified to it on countless times. And you know what? Just like everything else that I've said, it was truthful. Now, what did I lie about? Yes, I lied at the direction of and for the benefit of Trump, including how many times I ended up meeting and speaking with Donald Trump about the failed Trump Tower Moscow project. I stated three to Congress. The answer was really 10. So, look, we already know that Donald Trump has lied like 85 billion times while he was president of the United States. He continues to lie to this day. And... My question to you, as a follow-up, if in fact, and we do know that they will appeal, how long before which the judge finally makes a determination? Because Judge Engeron gave them, I believe it was 21 days for them to sit for these depositions.
4: So let me take the last question first. I do want to talk about a couple other interesting things that you said. Um, The answer to any how long does it take question in the courts is going to be as long as the judge wants. And this has been particular high horse of mine, Michael, because we've seen, you have seen, that often the courts are so slow that they play right into Donald Trump's favorite strategy, which is delay. Um, and it, that really derailed, for example, the Don McGann subpoena. That took two years in the courts. No one even cared by the time it was over. That said, thus far, courts have seemed to be, have seemed to get their act together a bit. If you look at the dispute over the National Archives documents for the January 6th committee. That thing got from complaint to Supreme Court in three months. Now that to normal people, I guess that seems like a lot of time. But but to lawyers, we know that that's lightning speed. So, you know, one of the things i am always like begging judges to do is just prioritize. If you have a case relating to the former president, if you have a case relating to separation of powers, congressional subpoenas, all you have to do is take it and put it at the top of your pile And there you go. So I hope whoever gets this case on appeal realizes that time is of the essence and that he or she needs to resolve this as soon as possible. So I don't have a good answer to how long. It's really up to the judge. But that brings me to another question, and you alluded to this. You testified in 2019 to Congress that this was happening, right? I remember where I was. I was on set at CNN, and you you detailed this inflation and deflation of assets. So Why is it in your view, if I can ask you a question that here we are almost three years later and there's been no criminal charge. And I think there will be a civil complaint along these lines from the AG, but no criminal charge along these lines. I mean, if you have it like that, if you have the proof, then, and the documents back you up, wouldn't there be a charge within three years? What am I missing?
1: Well, let me tell you what you're missing, Mr. Honig. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah. Here's the deal. When I testified in 2019, remember who was still the sitting president of the United States? Let me think. Yes, okay. I do. Yes. And as we all know that he had a corrupt and a complicit attorney general that was preventing virtually everything from taking place. OK, but
4: let's let's focus on New York State because they're not under the purview of Bill Barr. Or that's else. Letitia James, Cy Vance, now Alvin That's Brett. correct.
1: Why they haven't brought the charges sooner, I don't know. I actually believe that they were going to bring charges, especially Cy Vance, legitimately Mm -hmm. the day after the election and the swearing-in of Joe Biden. They didn't do that. But what did they do? They indicted the Trump organization as a whole. They indicted the CFO, Allen Weisselberg. And for whatever reason... They then ultimately brought in a RICO expert, an attorney extraordinaire, Mark Pomerantz, Pomerantz. who has been sifting through an exorbitant, exorbitant amount of documents. I believe at this point in time, oh, let's not forget, then the attorney general, in essence, joined the district attorney's case. One civil, the other being criminal, which is, of course, is what's driving Trump and the Trump family crazy right now. Because when you sit for the deposition of the AG, in fact, you're actually sitting for the deposition of the district attorney because they're sharing information. Mm -hmm. They did indict, as we just said before, Alan Weisselberg. And so... They are moving slowly, and we always say this, and people on CNN and MSNBC and all the, you know, they seem to parrot what I was saying, that the wheels of justice turn slowly, but nevertheless, they ultimately come full circle. We're seeing right now a point in time that that circle is becoming, you know, we're, we're well past the halfway mark. We're probably closer to the three quarters mark. And I believe that there's going to be a lot that's going to be happening in the very near future. Okay, let me uh,
4: I'll I hear you. I'll offer a couple counters to that. One, the fact that they did charge the tax stuff, Weisselberg and the Trump org, but not the valuation stuff is curious to me. I I don't know why that is. Two, three years is beyond any rational explanation. Mark Pomerantz comes from the same office I came to later. Three years in SDNY, you would be fired if you took 3 years to bring this case i know there's a lot of documents to go through mark pomeranz has done large complicated cases there's no way he he is incapable with his team of getting through those documents in 3 years um something else to me is missing here i don't know what it is um i suspect i suspect they just don't have it at this point with respect to donald trump on the valuation they don't have a direct hit that they can support beyond a reasonable doubt. They don't have a cooperator that we know of. They don't have other than you. Um, they don't have a smoking gun because he doesn't text, it doesn't email. They don't have a wiretap. If they have the proof and they're taking this long to, to charge it, then I'm at a loss. There's just no way a responsible, aggressive prosecutor would let this thing sit for three years if the proof was ultimately there. I think they're, they're stringing this out. They're going to bring, in my view, civil charges. They're going to trumpet up the, well, we indicted the Trump org. We indicted Weiselberg on the tax fraud. Um, And that's fine for what it's worth. But ultimately, in my guess, and we are all guessing to an extent, although you you have a bit of inside information being one of their potential witnesses, I don't think they have charges, criminal charges against Donald J. Trump, maybe criminal charges against other people. I I fully expect there to be a civil case against Donald Trump, but I do not believe they have it. And if they do, if it's taken them three years, then that's just inexplicable.
1: Yeah, why three years? I actually thought this was gonna happen early. I believe that they have the goods. And you're right, Donald has never had an email address. You don't have a specific document that they were hoping to obtain off of a computer on a search or what have you, whereby it states Donald making a a direct uh, demand upon somebody to inflate the asset or something like that. Right. You're going to have a series of documents that shows you do have multiple people who have already provided testimony to Tish James's office as well as to Cy Vance outside of me that corroborates the entire inflation and deflation. But it's more than just that. Um, there's so much here. I agree with you. Mark Pomerantz is a fantastic lawyer, and I believe that they could have uh, sifted through the million documents that they probably have in a more expeditious fashion. But let's not forget who you're fighting with. You're fighting with a guy who has no qualms about lying, who has no issues about fighting tooth and nail. Regardless of how incompetent the lawyers are that he's hiring, delay, delay, delay. We also, as I stated before, he was president for two of those three years. Um, And there's so many things that are happening all at the same time, because it's not just the DA's case. It's not just the AG case here in New York. You have Georgia. You have the PIC case, the presidential and committee. You have Dozens mm-hmm. of different actions that are pending Eugene Carroll's case against, you know, against Trump as well as others. There's so much that's going on. Now, you're right. One shouldn't offset the other. Why it's three years, I don't know. But I do and I will challenge you on the fact I do believe that there will be a criminal case. And I do believe that they have the documentation to show and to prove it both on Donald, on, on Trump organization, Donald and so on.
4: You think there will be a criminal charge against Donald J. Trump? Yes, I do. One hundred by the New York by New York authorities.
1: I do. Yes.
4: Okay. All right. you may be, you may be right. We'll bet. We'll bet uh, dinner with me and you and Rudy sometime.
1: <laughs> yeah. How about just you and me? I, I can't. I can't sit at the table. <laughs> I was watching him yesterday. Fingers in the mouth with the with the oh. you know wine dripping down the side of his. He's he's a fucking disgrace. So let me move on for a second because I want to stay on this topic. Obviously we know that Mazers is the accounting firm and we also know that as of last week that they now basically resigned from their long-term relationship with Trump, the Trump organization. They issued a pretty interesting type of a um of a resignation that, you know, they are basically stating to Trump that he should not use and no one should Acknowledge these documents based upon the statements that um, are contained inside those uh, personal financial statements. With that, yep. do you think Mazers has flipped on Trump, um, as some have, you know, mentioned or are you know speculating? And if so. What does it mean that they are contributing in the investigation against the Trump org? And more importantly, if they have flipped, remember, Donald Bender was Trump's accountant for a long time. Do you believe then that I'm right, that there will be a criminal charge against Donald? So I do think, I mean, the the term flipped can mean different things to different people. But yes, I, I think
4: it's not even much speculation to say they've flipped on Donald Trump because in the letter, they said to Donald Trump, "We have a we now have a non waivable conflict of interest with you, which Michael, as you know, as lawyers speak for. We're going to be at odds here, right? We our employees are going to be saying things that are harmful to you. Um, Mazars, I don't know what their motive is. I don't know if they're just trying to preserve their own inte- uh, their own standing or if they legitimately were fooled for all these years um, and now have realized the truth. But Mazars has clearly drawn the conclusion that." we were misled or the documents we have are not reliable. And therefore the work product that we generated for you, Trump org, is no good either. So Mazars is clearly trying to you know, save itself a bit, whether they were legitimately fooled before or not, I guess is, is an open question. Um, I, so it seems fairly clear that they are cooperating, not necessarily in the big C, big W cooperating witness, but cooperating with authorities, providing the documents, providing witnesses that are necessary. Um, And so I think that's going to be valuable. But again, the key to all of this is it's not enough to just say there was fraud at the Trump org and he was the boss. And of course, he must have known about it. His name's on on the door. Um, You have to, prosecutors have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Donald Trump knew about this. And by the way, there's also going to be the problem of the file, I'm sure is completely papered over. Lawyers, accountants, Others saying this is okay, this is okay. Donald Trump, I, I, you tell me. I, I assume he's smart enough not to put himself on record, ahead, you know, without some sort of cover from some other person. That's sort of his MO.
1: Well, n- so as I stated to one of the Democrats you know, who asked me questions, obviously the members of the GOP were only there within which to denigrate me, again, at the direction of Donald. It was part of their MO for the day, right? That was their guideline. One of the Democrats had asked me um, how we transmitted paper and so on. And the way that it was is if there was a document, everything had to go through Donald. He basically signed every single check, no matter how big, no matter how small. And anything that was going to be done required Donald's signature. Now it was, could be his full signature or it could just be his initial right. D. I believe that there are more than enough documents in the possession of the DA's office as well as the AG's office that will cast doubt to anything that Donald has to say and pass the reasonable standard. Okay, I guess we'll say, did you ever see Donald Trump flush things down the toilet, flush documents down the toilet? No, but I've seen him rip up paper and throw them into the garbage. You know, for Donald, it was more than just ripping for him in his sociopathic mind. Ripping it meant that it was over. Right. Like a <laughs> like a child. Right. He took he didn't tear it like most people would do if it was an important document that you didn't want anybody to put back together. Though, as you know, Quantico right. could put back together, you know, um, shredded papers. It was more of like a state. It was a, like a, a rip and then ah, a second. That's rip. that. Exactly. That's that's that. It's but, fun to do that. It's
4: very gratifying if you've ever done that, right? Yeah,
1: well, I, I don't know. I I've used started. to throw shit into the shredder. You know, for me, you know, <laughs> I, it wasn't about the ripping. It was more about just I didn't have enough the space in the garbage. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <Okay>. So <laughs> let's talk for a minute about the material effect of Trump contradicting his own lawyers by yeah. coming out and stating that not only does he know everything about his company, but the valuations discussed do not show the full value. He basically confessed to what he'd been trying to hide. Right. Could this land him in the criminal jeopardy that I keep referring to? It's such a a self-defeating statement in a couple of respects. First of all,
4: one of the basic rules of evidence is that any defendant or potential defendants own statements can be used against them um, in this context. So, His argument's going to be, I didn't know. I was not a micromanager. I was sort of 10 steps removed from anything that was happening financially. Well, here he is saying the exact opposite of that. So, yeah, I mean, look, this will all come down to Donald Trump's state of mind, to his intent. And a lot of times what you see a CEO or a boss doing is saying, look, I'm not a micromanager. I was a big picture person. I didn't get deep in the weeds. I delegated. I trusted this to Lawyers, accountants, whoever, um, but this statement by Donald Trump completely contradicts that. So maybe it was just his ego run amok; he just felt like he had to be a know-it-all. Um, but whatever the reason, it's it's a lawyer's nightmare, and it and it's
1: completely a self-destructive and self-defeating statement by him. It's not that's not the only one. I mean, this was a blistering 1,100-word statement. Let me just give you one specific that has been talked about. It's like the length of a column you would write yeah. for a newspaper. Yeah, that's stuff. for yeah. sure. So let me just use yeah. an example that I think Trump is going to have some pretty significant problems in trying to defend. In the financial statement, year after year after year, because I provided yeah. you know several years and they have um, even more than what I provided, it talks about, for example, his primary residence, the triplex over at Trump Tower. And it went up mm-hmm. from... 200 million to 250 to 330 million dollars, give or take, right? Whatever it specifically Mm -hmm. stated, but it's around that number. And the calculation was predicated on the fact that it's 33,000 square feet at $10,000 per square foot. That's Donald Trump's penthouse triplex on Fifth Avenue. Here's the problem the apartment is 11,000 square feet. And nothing in that building right. has ever traded at ten thousand dollars. Now you can argue that I believe it's worth ten thousand dollars because that's what Donald had said in the um, case that was Trump versus New York Times. I create yep. my own valuations. That's not really right. how it he had works. some he
4: had some word for it, like like exaggerated metrics or some some like fake
1: news or some you know uh, alternate facts kind of phrase for that. Yeah, yeah, and so it's going to be impossible for him to argue that he doesn't know that his apartment is not 33,000 square feet for God's sakes. Not only is he the owner of the apartment, but he's the developer and the builder. I mean, that would truly make, what's he going to claim I'm the stupidest fucking human being that ever walked the planet. He'll claim he got crossed up between
4: converting feet to yards and yards to feet. No. Um, I mean, the, the first question is, Did is he the one who signed those affirmations or did somebody else? Right. I don't know the answer to that. You probably you I don't know. You know, the prosecutors certainly know if Donald Trump himself signed off saying my apartment is 30,000 when it was 11,000. Could be a problem. Um, you know, I don't know how he gets out of that. Um, you would have to you would also have to as a prosecutor consider, is that enough to go on? If the only thing we have him on is overstating the size of his. Apartment, are we gonna bring the first ever indictment of a former president based on wrong apartment size?
1: No, I was just using that, that, that that's as that's not up to me. But, that's up to Alvin Brown. Right. But I yep. would I would state um, that this is just one example and it's such an egregious example, but not right. so much that it's three hundred and thirty million. But the fact that the financial statement, the fact that the financial statement was used to obtain mortgages and other sorts of benefits and so on, criminality.
4: Yeah, I I actually I think you make a really good point there that there may be wiggle room and subjectivity and brand valuation. Right. To what's this golf course worth. But when you're just talking about what's the square footage, that is a mathematical fact. So that's going to be a cleaner case. For prosecutors to consider.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Ellie, let me ask you this: Then, is there a chance that this can become a criminal case from the way that you see it, with what's going on uh, oh. with Tish James's uh, civil case? And can sure. the Manhattan DA use the material that's discovered in the deposition for its own case? So, of course, it
4: could become a criminal case. I mean, we—you know—I'm on the outside, as is most of the world, and we're sort of reading what we can into what we see publicly. I mean, look, Letitia James has made some bold statements in her briefs about how much evidence she has and that she's building this sort of, you know, very large, very compelling case. The judge said it was interesting the way the judge phrased it in his ruling. He said copious evidence of potential fraud. And I'm like, OK, copious is a lot. Potential is maybe, maybe not. Is So I think he was hedging. But copious evidence is, is saying is saying quite a bit um what was the second part of your question michael remind me uh
1: whether or not that uh the material discovered in the deposition could be used in the da's case
4: yeah well it can um it can and and the way this works under new york law it's interesting um if a person testifies in a civil deposition that testimony can be used against them in the future in a criminal prosecution if a person testifies in sort of the criminal equivalent which is a grand jury That person is automatically immunized. And this is part of what Donald Trump's argument was about the subpoena, which is what they're really trying to do is put me in a situation where I have to testify, but I can't get immunity because they're trying to make me testify in the civil case. And the judge's response rightly was, well, there is a solution for that. It's called the Fifth Amendment. And then Trump's lawyer said, yeah, but that's going to be humiliating. It'll be on all the covers of the papers. And the judge rightly said, so what? I mean, you have the right to take the fifth. You don't have the right to take the fifth without being humiliated. Um, The consequences will be what they will be. And so ultimately, I think Trump lands there on the fifth because ultimately I think the the appeals courts will hold up this ruling and Trump will have to testify. And then he's faced with either testify, tell the truth, testify, lie, or take the fifth. And it's too risky to do either of one or two. So I think he'll be taking the fifth. And like I said, it's not going to be a contrite Taking of the fifth, it's you know, if I had to guess, it's going to be a on instructions of my lawyer. So these rabid Democrat prosecutors don't continue to persecute me. I will take the fifth, even though I did nothing wrong. That's
1: my guess. Which of course we know that Eric, in his deposition, took the fifth five hundred times. Interestingly enough, right the other day there was an article that talked about, for example, in the complaint that was filed against Don Jr. Don Jr. Mm-hmm. responded, DKI, de- uh, denies knowledge or information within which to form mm-hmm. you know, a, a statement, that he yeah. was the executive vice president of the Trump organization. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> uh, the point I'm trying to make. They lie with yeah. fucking impunity, and all it's going to do is come back to bite him in the ass. Now, yes, and I... When you brought up the part that it's three years so far that there hasn't been charges, it fucking infuriates me. Remember, my case started and finished in 48 hours. 48 hours. Michael, that's that's a perfect
4: example. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's how quick the feds can move or the state. You know, if you're properly resourced, that is how quickly like everyone keeps falling back on. These things take time. They're building from the ground up. They want a buttoned up case. I mean, all of that is true. But you have seen firsthand the speed with which prosecutors can proceed if they are convinced they have the evidence and it's an important case. Inaccurate. No question. This
1: Inaccurate. An case. Inaccurate. They How didn't so? have the information of the documentation on me the same way that they didn't have it. What they did is they threatened my they wife. They got you to plead. That's right? correct. I, OK,
4: I know that. Okay, but I am telling you, I have seen so many examples where you had something urgent, something big, even something complex. And it gets done in a week or a month or six months or eight months or a year. Right. But three is
1: is multitudes beyond anything I've seen. And 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 myself. And I think what it's doing is it's damaging the DOJ's reputation terribly. And I think that people walk around believing that Donald Trump. Is the John Gotti of politics. He's the Teflon Don. And it becomes a real problem when you're when you're the people of this country don't believe that as the Democrats like, as we like to always say, right, no one is above the law. And Trump is sitting there basically giving you the two the two middle finger salute and saying, Fuck you, I am above the law. I don't think so anymore. I really think that well, Tish James's bold move. Is the beginning? It will be the impetus to the complete crumbling of the house of Trump. Could be. I, I guess we'll see. Um, I mean, he—I'll say—I think from his
4: point of view, he's gotten away with it so far. Right here, he is. He—he he, he was president of the United States. He's, I guess, rich. We can, you know, debate to what extent, but he's a wealthy guy. And to, in his view, he's never been touched in a meaningful way. Maybe that changes. Maybe that changes. But.
1: No, no, no. I, I, he was he was touched. I, 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 he was touched in a meaningful way. I mean, Stormy Daniels, right? Karen McDougal.
4: <laughs> I don't subscribe to even that Melania. Joke. At you least even Melania
1: joke. at least once. <laughs> oh man! So <laughs> let me let me move on because now that you're blushing. So Ellie, it seems that either way, they all lose, right? If the Trumps tell the truth. They could and probably will face indictment. And then if they perjure themselves, which, of course, they're likely to do, then they yep. also face an indictment. What happens mm-hmm. if one of them purges themselves during the deposition? Because I've mm-hmm. seen them perjure themselves. They yeah. even, there's even statements that were made by Eric Trump, in my case, against the Trump organization that are blatant fucking lies or something that you've seen probably a multitude of times on Twitter because people have been tweeting it out, you know, ad nauseum, that Ivanka was asked a very specific question about Alan Weiselberg. Is Alan Weiselberg the CFO of the Trump organization? And her response was, "I don't know what Alan Weiselberg's position is at the Trump organization." Right. Now, listen well, up, so- Barbie. Yep. All right? He's been with Trump longer than you're alive. You know he's the CFO. I've heard you say it. Everybody knows that you know that he's, there's only legitimately three people that carry those type of titles that are certainly above the Trump children. It's Donald as the CEO, Alan Weisselberg as the CFO, and Matthew Calamari as the COO. And I mean, you're going to tell me she doesn't know that? So my my response to what if someone
4: perjures, it's really a two-step process. One is, can you prove that it's perjury? And perjury cases are trickier than people think. It's not enough to just say, I call BS. Come on. Of course you know that. You have to prove it. Now, maybe what you're saying is just obvious. I mean, but um, you have to be able to prove it's a lie. And then the prosecutors have to choose to charge it. And a lot of times when prosecutors see perjury like that, they decide, well, is it big enough? Is it enough? Do we have other charges? So those are the two things. But, but for those reasons, Michael, um, I think there's virtually no chance that any of the Trump adult children or Donald Trump himself meaningfully testify. They may agree, go in and take the fifth. They may claim they don't remember. They don't recall. Fifth, fifth, fifth. But I, I don't think we're going to see any meaningful attempt to give substantive answers because like you say, they're they're in an impossible spot where they give the truth could be incredibly damaging, or they lie, could be perjury.
1: Yeah. By the way, did you see yesterday, I mean, talk about someone please telling Donald Trump to sit down, shut the fuck up already. He puts (laughs) out a statement, right? And it starts out with much of the now uncovered espionage campaign of the Democrats breaking into the White House and my New York City apartment took place after the 2016 election as yet another way to undermine the upcoming 20. I mean, this guy just doesn't know what it means to stop. Right. And he makes these bold statements, these allegations that gets his base all riled up. They broke into my house. It's all about Hillary Clinton. It's not about me. And then he goes on into some other literal tangent of stupidity with seven full lines of this long ass statement with no periods, no commas. It's just an ongoing rambling of a nonsense. You know, I remember in Young Frankenstein, remember there was a line, the nonsensical rantings of a lunatic mind? I know the quote, but I didn't know where it was from. Young Frankenstein. The, right i never saw it sorry and this is coming from the statement of the 45th president of the united states of america he he, he like he, he can't just sit it out and
4: like we discussed this statement could could legitimately be used against him it could be legitimately damaging to him.
1: what's he going to claim that it didn't come from me that somebody else wrote it even right. though i can assure you Someone else wrote it, and then he edited. It was guaranteed. It was Steve (laughs) Miller. Or take out all the punctuation here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. Nobody will (laughs) believe that it's my writing if, in fact, it is punctuation. Right. So let me then move on and ask you this, because there's a lot of people that are talking in Trump's inner circle. Rudy Giuliani is now in talks with the January 6th committee to testify about what he knows. What do you think the chances are that Rudy cuts some sort of an immunity deal for himself and then offers Trump up on a platter? Now, I've heard that Rudy is angry with Trump for stiffing him on legal fees, and he needs the money. Rudy's in financial Mm -hmm. trouble, so he needs that money, and he believes Trump owes it. And is it, and like, in his desperate financial straits that he's in, he's also recently humiliated himself on the masked singer. And obviously he did that because he was being paid. Now, faced with all of these mounting bills and the legal jeopardy that's coming out of that um, Dominion case. This could be his last chance to save himself. You think he'll do it? Well, so
4: let let me start with this. I would take any suggestion that Rudy's about to come clean and completely and fully turn on Donald Trump the way that a prosecutor would expect to cooperate operator to do it, would require a prosecutor to do it, meaning you fully admit everything you ever did wrong, Rudy Giuliani. You plead guilty if any of that is a crime and you implicate and testify against anybody else, whether it's Donald Trump or some previously unheard of person. The odds that Rudy ever gets to that point to me are very, very low. I would take any suggestion that Rudy's ready to make a clean break with two heaping tablespoons of skepticism. Rudy may try to play it both ways. That wouldn't shock me if he tries to suggest to Trump, hey, I may turn on you in order to entice Trump to pay for his lawyers. Um, It wouldn't shock me if Rudy tries to offer up some portion of the truth to the committee or maybe to prosecutors in a way that's perhaps self-serving, in the way that perhaps damages others who he wants to damage. But the odds of Rudy fully coming on board and cooperating the way I know what a cooperating witness is expected to be are very, very low. And I will say this, I cooperated all sorts of really bad people, murderers, mobsters. Um, but if they could get to a point, which some of them did quite quickly, where they were willing to plead guilty, to admit, every, fully admit and take responsibility for everything they did and implicate everyone around them, that's where you have to get to in order to make a real difference. Unless and until Rudy gets to that point, he's a halfway cooperator at best.
1: Okay. Are we all prepared to accept a half cooperator at best? And, yeah, I, think yeah, answer, an and I think the answer and I think the answer to that is this case is so fundamentally different than any mm-hmm. other case that we've ever seen. Ever. Yep. We've never had a former president with God knows how many lawsuits against him, including yep. From district attorneys in multiple counties, the attorney generals in multiple states, you have investigation going on a committee, you know, regarding actions that will hold you responsible for an insurrection, for a coup on the capital of the United. We we've never seen this, so I suspect I agree that the DA may be looking to. Maybe make some concessions and not ask him about all of the shitty things Rudy fucking colludi Giuliani did during the course of his life.
4: Let me put it this way. I don't think there's any way a prosecutor can or should take halfway cooperation because you're setting yourself up for disaster. Alvin Bragg, the current DA, was raised at the SDNY the same way I was. If you put a cooperator on the stand as your star witness and he has not admitted everything he's done or he's given you half the truth he will get annihilated and you will lose. That is fact. No responsible prosecutor would accept that. The January 6th committee has a different job here. They don't have to have a jury find guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And it might be a reasonable calculation for the January 6th committee to say, okay, we'd rather have half a truth or two thirds of a truth from Rudy Giuliani than nothing at all. They'd have to think about how that's going to impact their own credibility and whether they want to align with Rudy, even in some partial way. But I can understand it potentially from the committee's standpoint, but any prosecutor who, who tries to strike that kind of halfway deal is setting themselves up for utter failure. Alvin Bragg knows that. Alvin Bragg and I went through the same exact boot camp. Um, and unless he completely discards that, he will not take halfway cooperation from Rudy or anybody else.
1: You know, it's funny because last night I went to dinner with my wife and two other couples who we were celebrating an event. And we went to Fresco. Which is um, a restaurant that the Scotto family owns, you know, Rosanna Scotto from Fox News and so on. Yep. And um, <laughs> I've known the family literally since 1984. So I walk in with the, you know, five other, my wife and the other two couples, and who's sitting yep. directly at the table next to the one that we're sitting at? Rudy Kaludi. With the wine <laughs> Who is dri- he with? Dri- dripping down his face, he's. He looks extremely bloated. You know, he walks like even like the the penguin, you know, from Batman number one with Val Kilmer. I Jake, mean, I've never... He really looks terrible. Did he say hi to you? He did not. Uh, he saw me walk in. He was with did a group of guys you? absolutely 100%. And then I'm sitting down and then um, Anthony Scotto, uh, you know, one of the owners, turns and comes over to me and he says to me, Michael, is it okay, Mr. Ravitz? And then... Um, uh. Uh, what was his uh, Bill uh, Billy Thompson would like to say hi? Can you come over with me? So I went over and I'm sitting with with the two gentlemen and we're talking old war stories. I had you know met Bill Thompson several times in the past and you know we were just swapping okay. stories. It was really a. A real political dinner last night, to say the least, you know, because Ravitch <laughs> was is, like the head, of, an- the head of the MTA, and then he was HUD, and then, of course, Bill Thompson was the controller here in New York. It was truly a funny, funny event.
4: It is, a, it is an only in Manhattan scene where Rudy can be in a restaurant, and then Michael Cohen walks in, and then all these other power players are behind the scenes I'm in an Italian restaurant with a a famous newscaster there and the family, it's, it's, it's a perfect scene. It
1: it is. And he's a perfect mess, but (laughs) that kind of brings me to my next real question for you. So do you think that if Rudy would even turn on Trump or even testify, look, one of the things that we all have to remember is that colludi turned around and he made a statement uh, on his own that I have an insurance policy and I'm not uh, yeah. worried. I have an insurance policy. Now, was that just some sort of a latent threat to Donald? Fuck you. Pay me. Right. What Rudy should have done is like what I'm doing, just bring a lawsuit against the guy because Trump doesn't believe he owes anybody anything ever. Right. But yours is that you appealed. Right. Well, it's on. You yeah, appealed it's, on, yours? it's on. It's on appeal. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's just a ridiculous case. I mean, the way that the judge made the determination, not only was it bad for me, it's bad for public policy, whereby he stated that the actions that I did were for the benefit of Donald Trump, not the benefit of the Trump organization. Therefore, the, they right. should not be responsible to have to pay me. That's, that's right. not, that, that's, that's very bad. It's a bad decision for public policy. But going back to this, even if Rudy did testify, do you think it would be helpful in this case? Or do you think he's just sort of like, you know, shoveling more shit, you know, whether it's to the district attorney, the attorney general, or even to the committee where he's supposed to sit down and, you know, and speak to them?
4: Before I relied on Rudy Giuliani's word, any single word that Rudy Giuliani uttered, he would need to come in and proffer, meet with me, and open up and admit and embrace everything he's done. And if he's willing to do that in a way that's credible and that's fulsome, maybe. But on credit and on faith, zero. No, I would not. I would not give his word an ounce of credit unless and until he proved he had had a complete turnaround, was on, was was on board. Um, and was willing to testify fully against anyone else. I would not, it's hard to think of anyone I would trust less than Rudy just inherently.
1: Well, there's a problem with that. There's documents. And so while I acknowledge- i you be looking at the documents, sure. Right, while I acknowledge that Rudy cannot be trusted, look, we know some of the crazy shit that has come out of Rudy's mouth, parroting the crazy shit that's been coming out of Donald Trump's mouth, I, I acknowledge and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that Rudy, Rudy's testimony will be um, impeached by Trump's counsel, whoever it might be, you know, at that time. But there are yep. documents and why not well, then just yep. rely upon the documents, use colludi as a corroborator that these documents are the Originals, or that these are documents that came off my cell phone, my computer. Remember, they took all of this from his apartment when they Mm -hmm. raided it, when the FBI raided it. Mm -hmm. They they mirrored it. They have it. They know what it is. Why can't he just be used to corroborate the legitimacy of the document and let the documents speak for themselves? Well, okay, so first of all, you can get the
4: documents in – Um, just through the FBI agent. Say, well, we seized this cell phone and we downloaded it and here's the emails that I found out. You might want Rudy to explain some of them, but you don't necessarily have to have Rudy in order to get the documents in. You call an FBI agent who says, we grabbed this box out of Rudy's office and I found these documents. The documents are crucial to check and cross-check whether it's Rudy Giuliani or any potential cooperating witness. You want to make sure everything they say is consistent with and backed up by the documents. There's also a lot more than the documents that you would need from. There's a lot of things that were never documented. What was this conversation? What was the understanding? What was the agreement between you all? And for that, you know, the way it works with cooperators is you want to get them hard corroboration, whether it's documents, recordings, other witnesses, as much as humanly possible. But you can never get to 100 percent. And you can't just put a witness on there as he's only going to testify reliably about what's in these documents. Everything else is sort of up in the air. It's an all or nothing thing. It's like the lights on or the, well, that's a terrible example because lights can be dimmed. But you're you know you're pregnant or you're not. You're either cooperating or you're not. That that's I think the only
1: responsible way to go about it. Uh, again, I'm just talking about documentary evidence. So yeah, they can ask Rudy to verify. Or not. I mean, you know, one of the things that I also saw, and I don't know uh, whether it's accurate or not, because we really don't hear much from the January 6th committee. But Rudy Giuliani went out and he made a statement that the January 6th committee is illegal and that they can't subpoena anybody. That's, of course, after they subpoenaed him. That's nuts.
4: Yeah. that I mean, it's it's claptrap. It's nonsense. He knows it's nonsense. And that to me, by the way, how do you look at that statement and conclude he, he's he's somebody who is willing and ready to be embraced as a star witness? He's nowhere near there when you look at that kind of statement.
1: Agreed. I mean, to, to me, it's just sort of like. His comments, you know, how can any, you know, how can there be any confidence in this committee, which, by the way, is illegal, you know, and of course, where did he make that statement? He made it while he was appearing on Newsmax. Um, I mean, <laughs> then he follows up. I mean, it doesn't have a minority membership. It really can't subpoena anybody. And it's so sad, if you really look at Rudy, the man that he once was, the respect that he commanded, not just here in New York, but around the country and around the world oh. as America's mayor, is now nothing more than a shriveled old fucking drunk who walks around probably in his mind thinking that he's still that same person. I mean, there's something seriously wrong with him. However, it still brings me back to the point. If I was a prosecutor, I would turn around and I would just, I would use him merely to corroborate the documentary evidence that I have, which in my estimation, puts Trump front and center For the January 6th um, insurrection, talking about, because I'm sure there are communications between Rudy and um, Mark Meadows and others, Don Jr., Eric Trump, Laura Trump. I guarantee, because they're not as smart as Donald when it comes to not using technology, not having a fingerprint, which of course, you know, you alluded to Roy Cohn, you know, Roy taught him at a very young age. It's very difficult for government to prosecute you if your fingerprints aren't on anything.
4: Yeah. Um, look, I just, I think it's, I have no faith in Rudy. Um, I have a, I have a different, slight, like, a similar take, I guess, to what you do on Rudy. It is remarkable when you think of what this man once was. Um, he was an icon. In, and I don't mean when he was a mayor. I mean, at the Southern District of New York, he was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He took down the mob. He legitimately did. That's not just posturing. He took down the heads of the five families. I mean, not alone. He would have one believe it was alone. He obviously, he had teams of prosecutors doing it. You know, we had this wall at the SDNY, Michael, maybe you saw, I don't know, of portraits of all of the U.S. attorneys going back to the guys with the handlebar mustaches in the 1800s and uh, late 1700s. And Rudy's on there. And he was a point of pride. When I started in that office, it was 2004, not too long after 9-11. And we were proud of him and he was our, our, our sort of best known alum and he was controversial. And whether you were a Democrat or maybe if you're a Democrat, you thought he was a bit much. If you're a Republican, you thought he was great, uh, but he was someone we were proud of. And now he has just declined, deteriorated. I don't know why. I don't know what what has caused it, but he is a laughingstock. He's a con man. He's an embarrassment to himself to the point where I almost feel, almost feel sympathy to him. But then I remember just how destructive he is towards others, and, and I do not have any sympathy for him. And, and I think he would be just about the worst witness one could ever imagine enlisting. Sometimes someone is just too compromised, too um, non-credible to turn into an effective witness.
1: right. Nevertheless, they can still use the documents that they seized sure. off, of, off of it sure. in order to prove you know the case. So let me just move on. Absolutely. Let me move on, Elliot. So the next shiny object in front of the January 6th committee is the attaining of the White House visitor and phone logs. Now, on the surface, it seems that these logs could spotlight just who was there and when and who was calling on the phone. But this assumes that Trump and his cohorts followed protocol, and didn't try and hide who was coming in or at least remove them from the logs. Are they just chasing their tails here, or is there information to glean? No, they're not chasing their tails. This is very important.
4: I mean, look, there is a notable gap in the logs. Basically, the way I understand the reporting is the log is sort of proceeding along on the morning of January 6th, and then there's this gap while it's all going down in the afternoon. They need to know that. They need to know who Donald Trump was talking with. Now, from the reporting, what Donald Trump would often do is use a private phone or use Dan Scavino's phone or just grab some aid, give me your phone. And apparently it was for the very purpose of not creating a record, not creating a log. And to me, that makes it extra important that the committee finds this. And they can, by the way. I'm not sure they can recreate everything, but if they can figure out who's Phones he would tend to use, and there are reporters who know this. I've heard White House correspondents say, well, he would use Scavino's phone a lot. He would use whatever. Subpoena them. Go to the service provider, Verizon, whoever, T-Mobile. You get the records. You're absolutely entitled to do that. And then you can sort of re-recreate, piece back together the broken vase or, or the missing pieces of the puzzle. So to me, the fact that there's the gap, A, I would need that information to begin with. You want to know who was visiting and who he was in conversation with during these key hours. And B, the fact that that stuff is missing makes it extra interesting to me as an investigator. Cause why almost certainly for a reason. Well now let's really get to the bottom.
1: Yeah. And let me reaffirm your position as being accurate because not only have I seen it, I've given him my cell phone to use. Not while he there was president. Go. We would be when he was president yeah. elect or whatever, he would be like, Michael, get me so-and-so on the phone. Keith Schiller. All the time, right? Now, right. while I was while I was in England, and that's when the Billy Bush statement came out, I received a phone call from Hope Hicks. And I testified to this, um, you know, yep. to Congress, uh, not the House Oversight, but to the Senate Select, uh, as well as the um, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and anybody that asked me, Hope put Donald on the phone. And it wasn't, you know, so the the notion... Why would, but let me ask you this. Would he do it just out of out of convenience, laziness, he's here, grab your phone? Or, or would he do it because he was trying to not leave a path? It's a combination of both. Um, so he would say to Hope, as an example, get Michael on the phone. And she would call, and he can't help himself because he's compulsive. So he said, Hope, give me the phone, right? Or, you know, you see him... The biggest problem for everybody that's around Donald is that you don't want to disappoint him. You don't want to say the wrong thing for fear that he's going to explode at you. Like I talk about in my book, Disloyal, when Don Jr. asked him, do you get nervous when you do these type of events? And he exploded. Nobody wants Donald (laughs) to explode against him. So if you're there and you're talking, there's an added pressure that's on top of you. And so what he does is he said. Give me the phone, give me the phone, right? And you give him the phone, right, and then right. he takes over. Now, is it designed that way, that there would be no fingerprint onto it? It's possible. Is it possible right. as well that, you know, it's just he's barking out orders to people on a continuous, you know, basis? And, you know, while he's trying to navigate the headaches, the cirrus that he's in, right, that he just p- takes the phone, It's a combination of both. And it's very difficult, as you know, as a former prosecutor and as a lawyer, it's very hard to know exactly what somebody is thinking, why they're doing something. But it certainly is a pattern. And I think that pattern can be used against him and effectively. Sure. I agree with that 100%. Yep. You know, so, Ellie, as we're winding down the hour, I have just one last question for you. I want to take a moment to handicap the various investigations against Trump <laughs> in New York, from the Jan- uh, as well as from uh, the district attorney's office, as well as the AG's office, from the January 6th committee, from Georgia, the case um, that's brought up by um, uh, Fannie Willis, and possibly even the DOJ, right? In order of likelihood, which do you think are the most likely to lead towards some sort of a criminal indictment? Because I have my list, but I'm really curious, you know, where you're placing most of your hope yeah. for accountability. Um, so
4: if I had to handicap the likelihood, I would put the, the Fulton County DA at the top. Um, you know, DAs can do what they want. DAs don't have to go through the bureaucracy of the United States Department of Justice. They don't have to get signed off from however many different people. If Fonnie Willis thinks the proof's there, the DA, and can get a grand jury to indict, which you almost always can, she can indict. So I think, and I think the the case there is easier to understand and more straightforward, the election interference, the call to Raffensperger. So I I would put the DA uh, uh, as the most likely. Um, I would put The Manhattan DA as second, most likely you and I sort of went back and forth about that. I think you think it's more likely than I do, but I would put that in second place. I don't think they have the direct hit that they need on Donald Trump as of this moment. But again, we're playing guessing games a bit. And I put, sadly, the United States Department of Justice third because they've just shown absolutely zero inclination or public moves, subpoenas, grand juries, searches, charges, They seem to have taken this approach of we're going to start with the people who wore face paint and horns, who stormed the Capitol. We're going to see if maybe we can flip them up into maybe higher ranking Oath Keepers and go from there. That's not going to lead to Donald Trump in all likelihood. Or if it is, it's going to take seven different layers of cooperation, which you're never going to get. The problem is these are separate but overlapping conspiracies. They need to go directly at the Trump, Bannon, Rudy, Stone, the Willard Hotel people. And they've shown no sign of doing that. Now, people say, how do you know? Maybe they are. Agree. Maybe they are. But it's a year and change out from that. And if this is a crime, it is the most serious crime against our democracy, probably in our country's history. And yet you're telling me DOJ is taking its merry time and letting a year and change go by. So I just I also don't think Merrick Garland just has the will, the political will, the appetite, whatever you want to call it, to do anything like this. Um, And so I think people who are waiting for Merrick Garland are going to find themselves waiting and waiting. Um, But again, the caveat to all of this is we're not in the room. We don't know. Um, I know all the counter arguments. He's buttoning it up. And how would you know? I agree with how would you know Um, if he's buttoning it up, if if he's planning to to indict Trump and he's going to do it a year and a half out. That is nonsensical to me. Um, what do you think? What do you, do you What percent likelihood do you think that Merrick Garland and DOJ bring a criminal indictment against Donald J.
1: Trump? I, I don't. I don't have faith in Merrick Garland. Um, I think it's going to ultimately be very similar to the Mueller report, uh, where you know, if that, if that, and at least Mueller issued a report. I don't think Garland's going to ever say anything. Yeah, I think there'll be. Yeah. I think there'll be a report. But if I was going to handicap it. I still have my money on the DA and the AG's case here the combined case in New York as being the okay. the forefront and I and I, I I think the DA case in Georgia is a very close second it would be like you know um you know a, fi- yeah. a photo finish you know type of um a scenario but I do really yeah. have okay. the full faith uh in the AG and the DA's case here in New York and I think that this latest move with all of the attention that's brought to it um, by the news of the AG's successful determination yesterday, uh, you know, by, by, judge, um, by the judge, I do believe that that's going to help to propel it. I, I hate to use the word faster, quicker, because nothing here has been faster quick, but that's, that's my handicap onto it.
4: Okay, I guess we shall see. I guess we agree on who the two most likely and the least. The, we agree on who's least. Likely. That we do, that, <laughs> that, that we way. do. You and I are yeah. finally in agreement. Ellie, <laughs> Ellie, listen. Let me. And by the way, I should. I should just should, should say this. If somebody is going to bring a criminal charge against the former president, it should be DOJ. It's really DOJ's job, especially considering the national interests that are at stake here. So it really is a failure if DOJ just sits this out.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Listen, that's two things we agree with in the same minute. <laughs> Ellie, let me thank you again for joining me on Maya Culpa. Um, you know, we only we, we only time will show who's right. And of course, loser buys dinner.
4: <laughs> you got it. We are, you're on. We're gonna, we're gonna go and we're gonna hope that we run into Rudy and uh, Rosemary Scotto and all
1: these people. <laughs> you, you got it. Be well, my friend. Take okay, care, guys. Bye bye. And now for today's mea Culpa. In thinking about the chain reaction of events that has befallen Donald Trump after the release of the February 9th Mazer's letter, I am reminded that for Trump, it took more than just his duplicity to stay in the ring. He might say he's the master of the art of the deal. But Trump's real superpower is his talent for wriggling out of accountability after sailing close to the law and normal rules of politics, business, and life in a way that would have destroyed most public figures long ago. However, after he bounced back following a lifetime of business bankruptcies, scandals, and impeachments, it might soon be time to consider whether Trump's flair for impunity is starting to fail him. The reason is simple. The people who were behind Trump, who forged his bullshit into reality, are all abandoning him, myself included. I cannot stress enough what a huge deal it is that Mazers has ditched Trump as a client. His entire identity is wrapped in being known as the titan of business. Now, love him or hate him, he'll make you rich, and at the end of the day, it's all about the economy, stupid. Right? Well, fucking wrong. Unfortunately, now that the Band-Aid has been ripped off, Trump is showing an awful lot of puss. And believe me, this is just the beginning. All around him folks are jumping ship. Mike Pence took the extraordinary opportunity two weeks ago to do just that and open the door for fellow Republicans to turn their backs and walk away from him. The man is now wounded in a way he has not been before. His one true superpower, beyond his ability to escape accountability, was to appear rich. Absent that, he's no fucking use to anybody. And believe me, he knows this. It's why he had me go after journalists who said he wasn't a billionaire. And that's why he had me and Alan Weisselberg artificially inflate assets to boost his net worth to make the annual list of Forbes billionaires. That he also did this with banks to obtain loans is fucking obvious. And now they too will walk away. All Trump has left now are the assets that he holds. But he's in such deep fucking debt that he's going to have to unload most of it to keep the creditors at bay. The irony here is just too delicious. In the end, it won't be his egregious assault on democracy that lands him inside a prison cell, but his own mouth and his own fucking ego. Live by the sword, die by the sword, my friends, and thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, and it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, But in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.